Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. This week on the podcast, the uh, Statler to my Waldorf. Welcome back, Eric Shubbs. How are you, buddy? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. And uh, for folks who have been in the cloud for a decade, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, certainly. Eric Shep's Microsoft Apps and Services, MVP, whatever we're calling ourselves uh, this year. I think this is my 14th year, I believe it is. So I got all the gray hairs just like you. Uh, I've been around a while. President of Binary Wave, uh, also our newly launched company, Aptigent, as well, out of the UK. And uh, all around Office, Azure, Developer, and such. Excellent, and uh, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, last time we were in a at a conference, enjoying some uh, libations, but uh, appreciate you taking time uh, in this time of frame. So I wanted to have you back on as we were chatting, you know, as we sometimes do. About uh, you mentioned you're doing power platform connectors. We are, yeah, and I, that piqued my interest because a long time ago, when they first came out, I wrote a simple one. It was as simple as writing an API and creating a Swagger file, and I was done. Is it still the same thing? Well, sort of. Uh, <laughs> at, at the most basic level, yes. Um, but uh, it has obviously matured a bit over time, uh, a bit more complex uh, as things have gone along. But uh, overall, uh, it's pretty much the same process. You define your connector in an open API definition, still at the 2.0 level. They haven't quite moved up to the 3.0 level yet. And um, then you have to take it through the certification process and uh, whatnot. But uh, yeah, fundamentally, still pretty much the same thing. Which is good. So let's dive a little bit deeper into some of that. So what is a connector for the Power Platform and why would I want one? Well, it's really any external service that you want to connect to. Uh, sometimes you obviously may have line of business applications uh, that you're trying to connect to. It could be that you have a system that you want to connect to that there may be some out-of-the-box connectors to. SharePoint, for example, there's some things out of the box, but it doesn't do everything. And uh, it may be that you want to consume publicly available services or even third-party services uh, that um, give you some sort of business process or data feed or something that you're trying to consume inside of your uh, flows and apps. So there's a myriad of different ways that you can use the connector framework. The great thing is how easy Microsoft has made it to uh, connect uh, and extend what they provide you out of the box. There's a gallery, obviously, of third-party connectors. We have one of those. It's called Power Tools that we just recently uh, released and we'll continue adding to. But uh, you can also roll your own for whatever custom requirements that you may have. So it's a pretty flexible framework and it's standardized on a Swagger spec. So if you can write some JSON or YAML uh, and you can connect it to a backend service, Bob's your uncle, you're there. <laughs> All right. And so, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a gallery of them. And I know you said you put one in the gallery. But before we get into there, uh, the, the is there a, like a tenant level gallery like I see inside of Teams or in SharePoint where I can, I can put connectors in something that my organization can use? Or do I have to go through the whole public store? No, you can uh, just 
pop it open, go to connectors, and you'll see that there's an existing gallery of connectors available uh, that you can choose from uh, that third parties have provided. Some are free. Some have uh, you know, a paid uh, plan. The first one that we released is completely free, but uh, we plan to release some paid ones uh, going forward as well. Uh, so you kind of have a pretty wide palette of things that you can choose from as well as anything that you have in your internal organization uh, developed, you have access to that uh, as well. So it's a simpler paradigm than say the office store in that Microsoft is just providing a platform for these connectors. They don't get involved in the it really in the uh, publication or distribution process other than making them available. All the documentation and what and descriptors for the connectors is hosted on a public GitHub repository. That's part of the certification process, actually. Uh, so they're, they're really acting as an intermediary in providing access to these endpoints to users. And then it's up to each individual connector provider how they want to monetize or not monetize that. Okay, so you're writing a connector and that is at its core a web service, right? It is, yep. Okay, and now obviously I'm going to want to have some context. So is it straightforward enough for me to understand who's calling my web service and what platform product they're using? Well... It's a good question that actually um, there's not much in way of metadata involved in the calls that come into your service. You're providing a restful endpoint that people are accessing and there's really nothing transmitted along with that to say this call is coming from Power Apps or what you know Power Automate or, or what have you. Unlike say building SharePoint apps or Teams apps where you get some contextual information. Now, if you have secured that with an OAuth endpoint or you're using Azure AD, for example, then you have a bit more information about that particular uh, tenant that's accessing your application just by nature of the authentication framework that you're using. But if you're using the traditional sort of basic API key uh, security model, then really you don't know where that's coming from other than looking at the request origination endpoint logs uh, to see where it's coming out of some generic Microsoft data center. Okay, so you mentioned a couple different ways there for authenticating. So I guess that's part of the process would be decide how you're going to allow folks to call this the service, right? So do you do or prefer one of those over the other, an API key or, or a token? Well, it depends on the requirements of your application. If you want to go through the trouble of setting up a an OAuth server and, and doing the whole OAuth framework. Obviously, that's pretty standardized nowadays uh, that a lot of people use. Uh, and you can certainly do that. Uh, there are lots of different platforms for putting that together. Uh, the, we happen to use a multi-cloud architecture with IBM on the front end and Azure on the back end uh, for various reasons. And, and so our front end shipped out of the box with an OAuth service uh, capability. And we actually do both. We have an OAuth service and an API key service. But in terms of customer acquisition, it's a lot easier for people to set up a connector with just an API key than it is to go through the whole OAuth process and having the reply URLs and uh, you know all the stuff that you have to put in place uh, for that. So it's, it's simpler. Uh, to, I don't know that I prefer one over the other, um, other than I don't like to take a lot of support calls around OAuth. <laughs> yeah, I can see the API key being yeah low friction for adoption, right? You just here's this key and it, and it works, but then that puts the onus on you in the back end. I'm guessing to generate and validate and secure these keys, right? Yeah, it definitely does. 
and so you have to control all of that uh, process uh, yourself. And there has to be a mechanism for people to sign up and manage their keys and their apps and whatnot. And so there's various mechanisms. For example, if you wanted to distribute something for free and make it nice and simple and you're already building on the Azure platform, as I hope you are, uh, then you can use Azure API management uh, for that, which has most of those capabilities built into it. Uh, and it's pretty good. Uh, but when you want to go beyond that and commercialize it, that platform is really not designed for commercializing APIs. So you have to either roll your own or look to another platform for managing uh, all of that and allowing people to uh, create and manage keys. And if you're using an ID and a secret, control their secrets, et, et cetera, et cetera. So there needs to be a front-end component, what's known in the API parlance as a developer portal uh, to allow customers to control that, as well as if you're doing monetization, they have to have someplace, obviously, uh, where you can uh, transact a, a, you know, some monetary exchange. Yeah. And so if you're managing that yourself, then I'm guessing you can infer some context by the token, right? You give Paul a different token than you give Jeremy, for example. And so when the token comes in, you could say, oh, this is Paul and he paid for the premium as opposed to something else, right? Is that a fair statement? Yes, you absolutely you can. And most of the platforms, uh, at least any of them that are commercially viable, all have ways that you can set up multiple plan tiers uh, and do consumption-based throttling and management uh, for that. So for example, in, in our platform, when you sign up for our light version, uh, that API key determines uh, which product plan you're on. If you were to then say, oh, I want to move up to the paid uh, version, uh, then you would subscribe to that one. You get a different key uh, for that. And then you can manage those subscription levels there. So that's sort of the front end gatekeeper, as it were, to which APIs get assigned. Most of them group APIs into products or product plans that you have a set of APIs on the back end that you associate with a product. And then a product is what gets displayed to the consumer. And uh, all of the documentation then gets associated with the APIs themselves. Most providers follow pretty much the same model. API Azure API management does it the same way. Okay. And so at this point, you're just using some non-power platform tools and plat, uh, interfaces, I'm guessing, to build what you your connector. And then what do you do in the power platform to make it light up? Yeah, so it's completely agnostic uh, of what platform or endpoints uh, that you're using, which is really nice because you can, heck, if you wanted to go legacy SOAP, you can do that as well. Uh, as long as you wrap a, a swagger definition around the front end. And that's really where the magic happens in uh, Power Platform and the connector framework is for those that aren't familiar with it, a swagger definition uh, is a, an open API spec document in JSON or YAML that defines your API. So what are the inputs and outputs? What are the paths? What's uh, accepted? What headers do you need? What's your security framework? You know, what are your post parameters? What kind of data uh, do you return in what format and shape, et cetera? And all of that is defined in the Swagger definition. That gets uploaded to your custom connector. There's a nice wizard, actually. They've done a really good job in Power Platform of giving you a wizard to create these custom definitions. And you can drop down to the swagger, for example, if you want to do things like references and tags that it doesn't support natively in the UI, you can drop down into the uh, swagger definition and edit manually. But most of the pieces are already there in the wizard. 
that allow you uh, to create a definition to connect to any endpoint you want. Once you have that in place, it's there in your tenant. If you're using Azure APIM, they've got a really cool feature in there where you can publish to power uh, I think it says publish to Power Apps, but it's the whole Power Platform. And so with one click, once you've uh, uploaded your definition, one click exports it to the proper uh, format and uh, puts it right into your connected tenant, which is really cool when you're quick prototyping uh, out your APIs. And then if you want to take the next step beyond that and say, okay, now we want to go public uh, with this and we want to uh, give other people access to it and monetize it commercially. Then you go through, there's something called ISV Studio uh, in Power Platform. Uh, you actually get to it through Power Apps. It's ISV Studio, I think, .powerapps.com. And you go through ISV Studio, you submit a new connector request. There's a team that reviews it. Uh, they suggest modifications. You actually need to create a custom connector first in your tenant. So you can export the metadata that allows you then to create a new connector submission. And there's a command line that you have to run that uh, formats everything the way it needs to be done uh, and pushes it up to the ISV Studio. Then once it's in place, it goes through a review process. And then once that's done, you take your documentation, uh, you put it into the GitHub repository, and they start rolling it out to all the various regions, which was kind of an interesting process because it's not just, oh, they're going to click a button and suddenly your product is live. It took us about 10 days uh, to roll through the various regions that it gets released to. Uh, and you get updates saying, oh, now it's in Southeast Asia. Oh, now it's in Europe, excluding the UK. Oh, now it's in the US and UK. Uh, and so you just kind of wait for these things to come through. But the process is actually really straightforward as long as you follow the guidelines of constructing the metadata JSON files the way that they want with the right descriptors. It's actually pretty simple. It's a lot easier than publishing an Office app, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense, right? And so a couple of things that struck me as you were going through that process, right? You mentioned that I you have to build a connector in your tenant and then you can export that for submission. Now that tenant, is that a Azure tenant? Is that a Microsoft 365 tenant? What, what, what does that mean to the, to build this power this connector on your own first as a developer? Yeah, so you need it to be in a Power App tenant or Power Automate. It doesn't matter which one. Just have a tenant. It could be a trial tenant. Okay. Uh, and so you spin up the tenant. Then you go to Data Custom Connectors. You upload your swagger def, or you just start building it out in the wizard, whichever way you prefer. Uh, and then that gets deployed internally in your tenant. Once that's done, there's some instructions that they give you in ISV Studio of how to download this command line and whatnot. You actually connect to your tenant that you've set up, and it pulls down all your connector files and does the basic sort of pre-configuration for you, uh, and then you fill out the rest. So would I need to be a tenant administrator? Do you know? I, I'm guessing a trial tenant or a developer tenant is probably a good place to start in case you need elevated privileges to do some of this poking around, right? Yeah, I believe you do have to be a tenant administrator. So a, a developer or uh, just a regular trial tenant uh, should suffice. I'm not sure there's any difference between the two, really. But um, yes, I believe you do in order to upload and publish the connector and then to connect to it with the command line. Okay. Now you mentioned there's a wizard or a designer for this 
open API slash swagger description and, and what kind of things am I doing in this wizard? Why, why do I why do I care what's going on there? Well, you really if you've already built everything out in your swagger definition, you don't particularly need the wizard uh, other than to supply a, a color scheme and a logo. Uh, and then just to publish it. So the wizard is actually the way that you publish a custom connector to your tenant. So that's all you really need it for. Yeah. Does it let me translate from developer speak into end user describing a, a field? Is that that kind of thing? Or is it more complex than that? It, yes, it does. In that you can take either, each of your paths and you can start to apply metadata to them. But I, I would caution folks that if you're not familiar with the open API spec, and, and when I say this, we're talking about Swagger 2.0. Power Platform doesn't yet support uh, open API 3.0. Most platforms don't yet. So you really need to be conversant, uh, well conversant in Swagger definition files because the wizard only provides you so much capability in the UI and it doesn't take long if you're doing an advanced API to need to drop down to Swagger and provide extra detail. And to your point, providing additional fields, Microsoft has some customized field extensions. There's a whole list of them. It's in the documentation. The most common ones are the XMS summary uh, field, and that allows you to provide text that describes the field label. So typically when we're defining an API, our field definitions are pretty geeky, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. we're developers, yeah. right? Camel case, no space, yeah. <laughs> Everything's camel case. <laughs> but using the uh, label fields, you can override what gets displayed. Now, it will natively interpret some of those, but others you may want to provide a specific override. Or if you're using your API for multiple platforms, you may want to provide an override that's specific, say, to Power Apps and, and Power Automate. So you can use those descriptor fields to give more information to the user. Like what we did is we have a primary label field that says, you know, field one. And then uh, we use the summary field to de provide a description. And that's the gray text that's in the box that you see before you start filling out data. So you can tell the user what they need to do. It has to be terse. You can't go get too verbose, but you can kind of tell them what they need to do or or point them in the right direction or give them some hints using some like additional Like a tooltip, right? In a yeah, form like a type tip. of thing? Yeah. Unfortunately, back to your original question, the wizard doesn't provide a whole lot of that additional capability. So you're probably going to have to drop into your Swagger file to do that and hand code those pieces or put it into, if you're using like a swashbuckle type of generator for your code, um, you, you'll want to make sure you get those tags added to it. Uh, that way, uh, users will know what they're looking at and what to do with the fields that you've provided them. Okay. And then the another thing you mentioned as part of this process was you update all your documentation. And so is that something you're providing to Microsoft for them to host? Or are you hosting it yourself or both? Or what does that, what does that entail? Yeah, it, both. Um, 
they provide a GitHub repository for all of the connectors that are in the gallery, both commercial and non-commercial. And part of the process of getting your connector certified is that you have to uh, upload your definition there. It, it, it also gives a feedback mechanism for users to suggest features or you know respond to your API or, or what have you. Uh, they're kind of assuming that some folks or maybe a lot of folks aren't going to have their own mechanisms for that. My experience is a bit different. Most of the, the companies that I know are individuals providing APIs have their own public documentation. It, if you're building a Swagger file, you've already described your API. Right. And so most people will just host those on Swagger uh, IO or some other repository. Our front end portal has a whole description and documentation section and an online testing tool and code generator all built into it uh, in one. So it's really kind of redundant. But on the other hand, it also gives you the ability to collect feedback specifically from the Power Platform audience, whereas our public descriptor is from all of our various platforms, you know, including Salesforce and Nintex and Appian and K2 and a bunch of others. So I actually like that they're maintaining a separate repository so that we can partition that feedback a little bit. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. You mentioned a couple times now you have a connector out out there what what uh connectors do you what do they do wow what kind of functionality did you find that you thought would be helpful as a connector so it, it's interesting we actually came to this because we we're working with users who were getting frustrated end users who were trying to achieve simple tasks and what we think of and I, when i say we i mean us developers and sort of super power users think of as simple like using expressions and formulas the average user doesn't think those are so simple if you show the average user how to format a date in power automate i keep wanting to say flow in power automate or even worse in power apps where everything is sort of dotted notation and not um, drag and drop to us that's just formatting a string. To them, that's code. And when you get into the fact that, that oh, you can't use a double quote here, you have to use a single quote here, or it won't process it uh, properly. And, and I know the error message doesn't tell you exactly what the problem was. People get frustrated. And that frustration is um, driving a lag in adoption, or in some cases, decreasing adoption altogether. And, and we saw this firsthand working alongside end users uh, trying to use these tools. So it became pretty obvious that even though there are some a lot of things you can do right out of the box in the platform, they're not necessarily easy for the average user to do. So we went away and we built a set of utilities. In our free product, there's like 30-something utilities, and they do everything from splitting and joining and parsing arrays, uh, collections of objects, to doing advanced math calculations, to doing text manipulation, redacting strings, and and those sorts of things. And then in our advanced connectors that'll be coming here in the next month or so, uh, we can also do some cool stuff that, that has cognitive services on the back end, like translations and text-to-speech and all that stuff, which again, you can do by building your own connectors to the Azure back end. But most users, A, don't have access to their Azure infrastructure. They don't know how to go build those RESTful API endpoints or interact with them. They're there, but they're really hard to consume. 
Whereas our utilities, you just drag and drop. Here's your um, connector here. Here's how you can shorten a link without having to go out and create your own Bitly account and this and that and the other. And here's how you can do text to speech. And all you have to do is pick the locale of the voice that you want, right? So we make it super simple for users to accomplish those tasks, some of which are in the platform, but hard to do, some of which the platform doesn't have. So we're partially filling gaps. We're partly introducing some new functionality, but what we're really doing is driving adoption by making it super simple for users to get their work done. You mentioned before, you mentioned the word throttling. And when I hear that, I, I think like if I'm calling Microsoft Graph too much, I might get throttled. But now if the service is calling you, do you have any of those concerns about from the Power Platform perspective, are they going to throttle you and say, we've called out to too many, to too many times with all these basic tasks, so to speak? There's a base level when you submit a connector for certification. Now, I don't know with a custom connector, there's no knobs or dials to twist. So I'm not sure with a custom connector if there are any limitations whatsoever. Maybe there's a basic one uh, that applies to everything. But for a certified connector, there's a basic throttling of 100 operations per minute, I think, is the default that they have set. But depending on the platform that you're using, you can also do your own throttling. For example, in our free connector, we throttle it to 50 calls per day. Uh, so that's 1,500 calls a month. Uh, that you can make. Uh, in our paid connectors, we have tiers from 100 a day all the way up to 500 a day. And we even have an unlimited tier um, as well for really large enterprise um, customers that are going to be doing tens of thousands of requests uh, a day. And if depending on the platform that you use for front-ending your APIs, that may be simple. It may be expensive, depending on your platform. Uh, for APIM, for example, those have to be configured in an XML document to put your rate limiting and stuff in where some other platforms are point and click. But regardless, there's all, anytime you have APIs like that, there's always going to be some sort of limiter on them. Right. And I get that. You know, So from your perspective, where you want to track what your customers are calling and either limit them or whatever the case is, that's a decision us developers are familiar with. We've done that a lot. I get. I guess my, my initial question was around, is the power platform putting something on outgoing calls? Because to your point where you have what to us as basic tools, uh, I may be concatenating concatenating strings, you know, hundreds of times in a in a power app, uh, am I going to run into issues with the power platform saying, hey, we're not going to call Eric because you did it too much? Yes, you potentially can based on their default uh, limit parameters, but it, you can adjust that as the owner of the connector. I can adjust that throttling limit, although I don't think I can go over, I don't think I can increase it beyond their basic um, limit. So yes, that's a valid concern. Overuse is, of course, a concern. They're trying to, you know, invoke good platform hygiene, uh, obviously, in in keeping that to, you know, some manageable uh, level. But it it's also incumbent upon the API provider uh, to do their own management, so you're not overwhelming the services that you're pointing at. Yeah. Okay. And that all and that all makes sense. And and even. Um... If I'm writing the connect, if I'm writing the API that's backing the connector, it's incumbent upon me whether I'm doing something in memory or if I'm hitting out to a database. I have to be smart myself, right? The, it's all part of the whole picture, right? It just it's a lot, lot more knobs and dials. It seems like that I have to be aware of. Yeah, well, you do. 
you mentioned you you've got um, a connector out there, and then they, what is the name of it? Is what again? Power Power Tools. Power Tools. All right, Power Tools for a power platform. Look at that. It's all great. I love the naming. <laughs> Very original, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even give us any grief on that, which I was a little surprised about. <laughs> Well, that's great. And, and so um, I appreciate you walking us through this. It was great. How can folks get a hold of you if they have questions? Are, are you out on the social media? Yeah, I am. So first things first, if folks want to learn more about um, creating their own custom connectors, I did a session at the virtual what did we call it? It wasn't the SharePoint conference. It was the virtual O365 marathon or something that we did back in May. Uh, and so that video is out there. Uh, SharePoint conference website is how you can get to that stuff. Uh, so that's there. Also, um, I did a brief one for the uh, Galactic Summit in uh, June. Uh, and I have a few more of them coming up. I'll be speaking on this topic at uh, the event in Branson at North American Collaboration Summit. Uh, and I think also if, if we do an in-person event here in Dallas at the SharePoint Fest, uh, later this year. So I'm getting the information out there. Uh, there's already videos um, available. If people want to reach out and ping me, I do have a public GitHub repository. Uh, you can go to my github.com at github.com forward slash eShops. And that has some code out there already with a pre-built uh, Swagger definition file, an example of using an Azure function on the back end. So folks can look at that from a, a code example perspective. Uh, and then they can always reach me on Facebook, uh, SP Cowboy, and Twitter at, at eShops. Awesome, buddy, and look forward to uh, COVID lifting. I can come back down and hang out at your user group again. It'd be great to catch up. But in the meantime, thanks for taking the time, and we'll chat soon. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast, and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 